Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. The annual tournament for the North American Indian Tennis Association took place recently. More than 75 players competed, and 60 kids took part in a youth tennis clinic at the same time. The competition is an annual event that grew from a group of tennis enthusiasts who first formalized their passion for the sport in 1973. They worked to improve their own skills and to get more Native players in the game. We'll hear about growing enthusiasm for tennis among Native athletes coming up right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. In New Mexico, tribal leaders, city leaders, and state officials met Friday to discuss how to work together and heal the city of Gallup and surrounding reservation communities after an act of violence last week tainted the city's annual summer celebration of indigenous culture. On Thursday, a SUV drove through downtown streets during the Gallup Intertribal Ceremonial Night Parade, causing panic as people rushed to find safety. Navajo Nation Council Delegate Amber Kanesbaugh Crotty was at the parade. She's calling on the city to update its emergency disaster response plan and for the city and state to deploy a crisis response team to help people deal with emotional distress from the traumatic event. Those children who were visibly crying and shaking, those families who were doing the best that they could, our elders who did not have the mobility to move quickly, and as a community, we supported them. And as we walked back, our veterans who were triggered, who were telling us, I'm sorry, I couldn't stop him. And we have to acknowledge that pain. And what does that mean? Crotty says she will not go back to the ceremonial. Other Native leaders at the meeting echoed her sentiment, saying many people do not feel safe and are hesitant to go back to Gallup. The ceremonial will continue with events through August 14th. Gallup is also a spot where people from the Navajo Nation and Zuni Pueblo travel to for essential services. During the more than one-hour meeting, which was held both in person and online, city and state officials vowed to work on responding to the incident and to look at future emergency response plans. New Mexico State Police announced it will have an increased presence at ceremonial events and is encouraging the public to report any concerning activity to police. The driver from the parade incident, Jeff Irving, was arrested and is facing a number of charges, including aggravated DWI. Two passengers were also detained by police. Police say there were no fatalities, but 15 people were injured, including two officers. With new voting maps for Montana's legislature to be revealed soon, Native communities are being encouraged to watch the process closely. Eric Tigadoff has more. Billings-based Western Native Voice wants the Montana Districting and Apportionment Commission to respect tribal sovereignty in this process. One of the commission's goals is to keep communities of interest, such as tribes, intact. Tahim Perez with Western Native Voice says that's important, as well as ensuring that people in the legislature come from these communities. Candidates of choice are from your community and that these communities should be able to have the opportunity to elect someone that shares their values and shares who they are and the unique history and the unique cultures of these tribal areas. 
The commission has scheduled nine public meetings so that Montanans can comment on the maps at the end of August and in September. Perez says Montana has an independent redistricting commission and that it's done a good job of ensuring the legislature is proportionally representative of the population of Native Americans in the state. He says the independent setup of the commission has many upsides, including that it's not beholden to the governor or lawmakers. Perez says voters should be engaged in this process. Representation that reflects communities as they are is important. And the only way that a body like the redistricting commission can do that is through public comment. The deadline for the redistricting plan is the 10th day of the 2023 legislative session. That was Eric Tigadoff and I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. This show is supported by the return of FX's Reservation Dogs. This season of the original comedy continues to follow the favorite gang of indigenous teens in rural Oklahoma. FX's Reservation Dogs now streaming only on Hulu. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Tennis is a fast-paced, high-profile sport that has a dedicated following among Native people. The North American Indian, Indian Tennis Association hosted its championship tournament earlier this summer in Oklahoma. The annual event draws players of all ages who compete for trophies and honors in a variety of singles and doubles categories. There's also a youth tennis camp. Tennis is an international sport with pros like Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic, and Coco Goff among the top players in the world. And it's often associated with country clubs and wealthy urban communities. But Native American players have enjoyed success on the court too. Today we'll talk with Native tennis enthusiasts who play both recreationally and competitively about what draws them to the sport. Are you a tennis player? If so, give us a call and tell us why you play. The number to join the discussion is 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. Our first tennis enthusiast is on the line in Norman, Oklahoma. Lee Maytubby is the North American Indian Tennis Association Tournament Director. He is Chickasaw. Lee, welcome to the show. Are you ready to talk tennis? I'm ready, Sean. Anytime. All right. Well, tell us how you became involved in the North American Indian Tennis Association. Well, I think... Uh... Probably, really, my interest in tennis has spanned probably about 50 or so years, uh, but uh, and played a little bit in college, uh, and then recreationally, competitively afterwards in the uh, United States League Tennis Association. And uh, but I did find out about the tournament uh, probably in the 70s. And I worked in Washington, D.C. at the time uh, for the Bureau of Indian Affairs and uh, talking to some individuals there knew about 
some some other individuals that were trying to establish a tournament that just involved uh, Native Americans. And uh, I got real interested in that since I was playing a lot of tennis at the time and uh, found out that there were two individuals, uh, Dr. Blue Spruce and Noah Allen, uh, both uh, stationed out in, in the Phoenix area and uh, were trying to establish this tournament and uh, for for Native people. And I got interested. I didn't have the money at the time to make a trip to Phoenix, but that started my interest in in, in the tournament itself. So probably late 70s is when I had first heard about it. And uh, it's kind of just kind of progressed from there. I, I worked in Albuquerque for a period of time and saw the tournament put on out there, played in the tournament uh, a couple of times while I was there, and then eventually moved uh, to my home uh, tribal grounds here in, in Oklahoma uh, and uh, saw it come back to Oklahoma a number of times here as well. So I've uh, kind of been involved in it uh, off and on throughout the years uh, for the past uh, probably 30, 30 or more years, I guess. Dating back to the 1970s, you mentioned doctors Noah Allen and, and George Blue Spruce who got the tournament started. I mean, Lee, that's going back to the days of wooden rackets. <laughs> Well, probably so. That's that's pretty much the case. Uh, yeah, it was wooden rackets and maybe some steel rackets also at that time. But uh, uh, it was, uh, uh, yeah, it, it, uh, that's when I kind of first uh, was taking up tennis during those time periods and uh, uh, enjoyed the sport quite a bit. Uh, it just got hooked on it, I guess, and uh, uh knew that it was a uh knew it knew that it was a sport I could continue up until you know your older elder ages there and uh where I'm at now but uh um but yeah it's it, yeah the 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 tennis uh equipment has changed quite a bit since those days now how many members are in the North American Indian Tennis Association uh, yeah, I'm not sure if we've ever really tracked the total numbers. Uh, we have, uh, uh, I know Tony and Tony can kind of speak to this probably a little bit as far as the numbers that we had for this tournament. But I think over the years, I'm not sure we have really ever re really recorded, you know, the, the total numbers. I know it's always been anywhere from 40 to 60 contestants um, that have participated and those those participants uh, seem to come back a lot of them come back year after year after year and then um, of course we're talking about uh, some period of time now so you have children of those original people and grandchildren that are now participating in that tournament so uh, families do do uh, do come and do come back year after year to, to compete. I had a chance to, to check out the tournament. I think it was in 2010. It was held in Albuquerque at the University of New Mexico Tennis Complex. And Lee, what are some of the other cities where the tournament has been hosted in besides Oklahoma City and Albuquerque? We have had it, uh, the ones that I can remember, I know we had it uh, in Denver, Colorado. Uh, we've had it in Minneapolis. 
Uh, we've had it in a number of places in Oklahoma, Seminole, Lawton, uh, Oklahoma City, Tulsa. Uh, but outside of Oklahoma, you know, uh, Albuquerque, Santa Fe. Um, and there was a there was actually a push to try to have the, this last tournament uh, in Reno, Nevada. Uh, but uh, I guess because of COVID and some other things, it, it fell, that site fell through, but um, yeah, it's moved, it's moved around uh, across the country or we try to move it around across the country as much as we can. Um, I think that's part of the uniqueness of the tournament itself uh, compared to uh, a number of others. So, uh, but we like to, we like to locate it in, in kind of uh, native, areas you know that that can support an event such as this so we, we yeah a traveling tournament like that i think that really gets folks excited to go out and, and travel to different communities and and meet with friends and family and other tennis enthusiasts and lee who are some of the top players in the association right now well it's interesting uh we've had uh uh a, a couple of of younger guys that, that have kind of come into play here the past uh, couple of years. Uh, and uh, we were hoping to have one of them on the line. I guess he's, he's tied up in some lessons actually right now. He's a teaching, he's a teaching pro in Oklahoma city, but uh, uh, Ian Sue is, is uh, the, the individual I'm talking about. Uh, and he teaches there at the Oklahoma city tennis courts. Um uh, you know he's he's been kind of a, a star of the the men's open division uh, for a couple of years up until this year, and I think he got dethroned uh, in in a match with a with a newcomer. Uh, and uh, we've had uh, really the uh, some of the players. I mean, are and, and again, I'm speaking to the open division, which is kind of the higher skilled division. Um, uh, people that are that are teaching tennis basically teaching pros that that can participate in this and i think we had three or four of them including tony who's on the line with us uh participated in in this year's uh tournament but uh those individuals uh, uh jessica redcorn who's also on the line she's she on the on the woman's side uh you know she, i think she was a winner in, in one or two divisions here also. And, and, uh, uh, yeah, I, I think the, the younger, the younger crowd is, is coming into play here. <laughs> and, uh, some of us that have won the tournament or won certain divisions are, are getting a little older, but you know, we, um, you can still compete in it. Uh, you can compete in a senior division and you can compete in an open division. So, uh, you know, as, the, uh, the older ones uh, get older that uh, there's there's a space for them as well so we enjoy Lee, that you part mentioned of you mentioned tony mulligan and also jessica redcorn uh both tennis players who are on our show today and let's go ahead and meet jessica she's speaking with us from tulsa oklahoma she's a united states tennis association player and co-organizer for the north american indian tennis association tournament she is osage jessica great to have you on the show Thanks. Good to be here. Jessica, how long have you been playing tennis? Well, I started when I was like, I think four or five. Um, my dad was a uh, ranked player, uh, played for USTA. 
and northeastern Oklahoma, all his life. And then, you know, even in the military when he was abroad in different countries, he played for the military um, and and played tennis. And um, he, I grew up, he was my uh, tennis coach, my tennis trainer. And him and my, uh, my, my sister and I both play. And she plays in the tournament with me and mixed doubles. Um, so I've, I've been playing a long time. I had a wooden racket that at that time they didn't have youth rackets. So my dad sawed the uh, shaft of a wooden orange spalding in half <laughs> and built a grip up for me to make it a little junior racket because I was small. <laughs> <laughs> so your dad sawed or you're four, four years old, five years old, just like a kindergartner out there with a wooden racket that your yeah. dad had, had customized <laughs> so it worked for you on the court. That's exciting. So, uh, uh, yeah. We're talking with Jessica Redcorn right now. She's in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and she is one of the co-organizers of the North American Indian Tennis Association Tournament. We've got Lee Maytubby on the show as well. He's the director of the tournament. And we have Tony Mulligan, who is another organizer for this really exciting tournament that just was took place in Oklahoma City earlier this summer. We're learning about tennis folks and, and Native American people that play the sport. Give us a call if you've got a question, if you've got a comment. If you're a tennis player yourself, we'd love to hear from you. 1-800-996-2848. Once again, that number is 1-800-996-2848. We're talking tennis. Give us a call. We want to hear from you. Native American overdose deaths increased by nearly 40% between 2019 and 2020, a number significantly higher than the rest of the population. And a journalism investigation exposes damaging myths about alcohol-related deaths among the Native population in New Mexico. We'll get updates on two serious substance abuse problems on the next Native America Calling. Support by the Institute of American Indian Arts, the birthplace of contemporary Indigenous American art, and the educational home for esteemed and innovative artists, writers, filmmakers, performers, and leaders, making history since 1962. Accredited by the Higher Learning Commission, IAIA offers undergraduate degrees, graduate degrees, and certificates. Info on IAIA's 60th and the IAIA Museum of Contemporary Native Arts 50th anniversaries at iaia.edu. Thanks for tuning in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about tennis today and its popularity among Native Americans and other indigenous people. Yvonne Goolagong, a Wiradjuri woman from Australia, is a two-time Wimbledon champion, among other things, and was the number one player in the world in 1976. If you're a tennis player or fan, give us a call and tell us why you love the sport. Let's get some calls going. 1-800-996-2848. Again, 1-800-996-2848. We're speaking with Jessica Redcorn, one of the organizers of the North American Indian Tennis Association Tournament. Jessica, you gave us a little bit of family history there. Your dad was a ranked player, customized your racket as a young child, and, and now here you are still going strong, still playing. What do you love most about the game of tennis? Well, I think it's the workout because I don't like going to the gym. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like, I, I've just been a kind of an all around. I played soccer, tennis, 
and uh, gymnastics, swimming, uh, pretty much all my life. So really, really any sport, but it really hits hits home with me because my um, Uncle Charlie Redcorn and Jerry Redcorn were uh, on the original founders of the NAITA. And my Aunt Jerry was actually um, the mixed doubles partner for Dr. Blue Spruce uh, back in the 70s when it was first founded. So um, I have cousins that still play just for recreational uh, purposes um, on the Redcorn side of my family. And um, so it, it's really just the sport and the, the you know, having the family history of, of the huge tennis background for years, that, that's where my heart is. Well, it sounds like you're an all-around athlete and you've just got tennis in your veins there from so many family members who also play the sport. And Jessica, why do you think Native people should get excited for the sport of tennis? Well, I think it's it's a great way, especially this this association and this tournament that's held that um, has gone on for so many years. Um, you know, bringing natives together that are you know athletes that love the sport. Um, you know, a lot of the families that that I've learned since I've been playing in this tournament, they make it a weekend deal. Um, even if the kids or adults really don't play much tennis, they play anyway, and. It's the, the family uh, camaraderie um, that, that the organization brings to the table um, and make it a tennis event. I think it's wonderful. And Jessica, what equipment does a person need if they want to start playing tennis? Well, some tennis balls and a racket. <laughs> That's it. Um, so you know, I mean, tennis shoes, you know, uh, would be great. Um, you know, and, you know, they don't even have to have specific court shoes. They can use tennis shoes, just something that, that won't grab the, the, the concrete so bad that they don't, you know, hurt themselves. So it doesn't sound like it's an expensive sport to play for beginners if you want to uh, start out, you know, kind of just basic with basic equipment. Uh, are there a lot of tennis courts in tribal communities? Um, yes, there are. Um, you know, here in Oklahoma, there's, you know, there's recreational courts at parks and, rec- you know, recreational uh, that are completely free. Um, you know, and then there's certain tennis centers that, you know, charge a minimal fee for, you know, drills or lessons or, you know, court time. But for the most part, I mean, there's so many parks and recreation departments that have courts available for no cost at all. Now, does everyone need a tennis coach? What's the best way to learn? Um, I, if they want to start out, um, you know, find some, may, you know, maybe ask around your community. Maybe ask your, you know, neighbors, hey, does anybody that you know play tennis? Maybe try some free lessons from somebody. Um, if not, if you want to go full force into it, find the nearest tennis club um, that's maybe city-owned that someone can help you with drills. Um, for a minimal amount um, and start out that way. You know, there's all sorts of ways to, you know, ask around and um, and see who plays tennis and who'd be willing to help you. Jessica, you're a member of the United States Tennis Association. Can anyone be a USTA player? Um, you can if you, um, there's, it starts from a very low level from, you know, you know, very beginning of, uh, starting out, even if you're an adult and you want to get into tennis, you can start out the very low ranking 
and work your way up from there. You know, with, with experience and skills, you just work your way up in the rankings um, as you go each year. So anybody can join. Now, as I understand it, the USTA ratings, they start at a two for the the most basic beginning players, and they go all the way up to a seven. May I ask what your rating is, Jessica? Um, I'm a four. A four. Okay, so you're playing in some pretty advanced tournaments then. Well, I wouldn't know if it, I wouldn't say quite advanced, but, <laughs> um, you <laughs> you're know. You're being modest. Uh, <laughs> you're being modest, I can tell. Uh, well, um <laughs> There, it's it's not intermediate. It's a little bit harder than that, yes. Well, Jessica, in addition to just the, the exercise and the competitiveness and the camaraderie, what other life skills has tennis taught you? Patience. <laughs> um, you know, self-discipline. You know, um, you know that people have said for years that tennis and golf are, you know, gentlemen and ladies sports. Well, that's exactly true. You know, when you're out and you're playing, you know, you go, you base, you know, whether that ball is in or out because it's your call. There's no line judges. There's no one, you know, a referee like at a soccer game. There's nothing like that. So it's, it's by your word and by your, your, uh, by your honor. So that would be a good lesson um, to keep in mind is, is that you play, um, with honesty and integrity and call your balls in when they're in. If they hit the line, they're in. If they are outside the line, they're out. But make sure that if you um, you can't really judge the ball, you're, if you're wishy-washy on whether it was in or out, then call it in. Okay. That honesty, integrity, I understand that because that's even at the, the amongst the pros, even with, with line judges and with video replay. I mean, you'll still see pros just arguing back and forth about whether a ball was in or whether it was out. It can get really intense out there on the court. And Jessica, are you a big fan of the program? Who are some of your favorite players? Um, I go back to some of the original ones like Martina Navratilova. She's the reason I always played with the Yonex. I play with the Yonex now. Um, you know, Chris Everett, Beyond Borg. I'm just you know, Andre Agassi, I mean, just the original ones. Um, the and then now I would say Nadal, um, I would say, and then Coco. Okay. Were you an Yvonne Gulagong fan? Yes, I would say. That's going back a few years. I remember vague. I mean, I was a young kid when, when she was really at her peak, but yeah, she was an exciting player to watch for sure. For sure. Um, what about the big tournaments, Jessica Wimbledon and what's your favorite grand, uh, grand slam event to watch? Wimbledon for sure. That is pretty much the granddaddy grand of them all, huh? Right. Yeah. I like it that it's on the original grass courts. Um, and the whole, uh, the whole background and the history of Wimbledon is, is, I, I, I just love it. Now, that's another interesting aspect of tennis is you have these different court surfaces. You've got the traditional grass surface that they play at Wimbledon. You've got the, just the hard concrete surfaces. You've got the clay surfaces. What's your favorite kind of court to play on, Jessica? I actually like clay. Um, it, it gives a little more. Um, it's a little bit more, 
you know, softer on your joints the older things you get. So I actually <laughs> like clay, but obviously I play on regular concrete um, 95% of the time. I noticed in mean, the French Open, I think that's a clay tournament. And uh, I, I noticed the ball moves a little bit slower and it's messy out there. At the end of a, of a long match, the players are just covered with, with mud and dirt and everything else. So it's uh, it's really, really looks like a lot of fun, but definitely something, uh, you know, not for the for the brave at heart or excuse me, for the weak at heart for sure. So we have a caller uh, that, that called in and uh, they can't come on the line, but they just wanted to say that they're a big fan of table tennis. So I'm thinking ping pong. Jessica, any connection there? I mean, table tennis, does that help a, a person's uh, tennis skills on playing on a larger court at all? Oh, yeah, I think it definitely helps with hand-eye coordination, your reflux, um, you know, how fast you are to get that, you know, paddle up to the, the ping pong ball. And, and, you know, a lot of racquetball players, too. Um, you know, a lot of people that have played racquetball, um, they transition into tennis, you know, and vice versa. I remember racquetball used to be really popular, like in the 70s and 80s. There were racquetball courts all over, gyms and health clubs. And I don't see as much racquetball being played anymore. Is it, is it kind of on the downslide a little bit, Jessica? Um, I would say so. I think the YMCA's that are here in Tulsa, um, they don't even have racquetball courts anymore. They transitioned them into something else. So mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think it's near as popular as it used to be. Just one of those maybe '80s, '70s sports that was just kind of a little more popular back in the day. Uh, let's talk with another tennis enthusiast about the sport and the native athletes who play. Joining us now from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, is Tony Mulligan. He's a tennis player, a tennis coach, and co-organizer for the North American Indian Tennis Association Tournament. He is Chickasaw. Tony, welcome to Native America Calling. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. And Tony, what drew you to tennis? Um, my dad started me in tennis when I was in like fifth or sixth grade. Uh, you know, we didn't come from a lot of money, and so we never got the, you know, the country club experience, but... My dad, when he was a teenager, went to, I think, TG&Y, which you know, I don't think exists anymore, and bought you know cheap rackets after watching Jimmy Connors play, and him and friends figured out how to play and fell in love with it. So then when we were kids, me and my brother, he taught us how to play. And then in high school, I got the opportunity to play for the high school tennis team and go to the state tournament a couple times, and then got to play a couple years of college tennis. And so that, that's kind of how I fell in love with tennis, and then started coaching baseball for about 15 years and kind of stepped away from the game. Um, but then when I had the opportunity to become the head tennis coach at our high school, and that's what kind of brought me back about six years ago and started playing USTA and coaching. And now I run a nonprofit that helps kids here in inner city Oklahoma City to be introduced to the game of tennis. Well, tell us more about that work you do uh, with tennis outreach to young people. And I know the tournament included a youth clinic are you seeing an increase in young players? Oh, yeah, especially since COVID happened. Uh, tennis and pickleball are just exploding because they're good, safe sports where you can be distanced, um, you can be outside, but still have a great time. And so we've seen a lot of new young players come to the sport of tennis. The other thing that's really helping is some of the adaptations. You know, Jessica talked about her dad cutting a racket down for her. Um, we have so many rackets now that are the right size for kids. We have different types of balls that have uh, different compression levels so that they bounce at a level that a kid can be successful at. We have different size courts. 
and uh, kids are loving it. And so everywhere we go, we find kids that want to play tennis, that want to be involved in something positive. Tony, we briefly mentioned the connection tennis has to country clubs and urban communities. Does that present any challenges when recruiting Native Americans to the sport? Yeah, just sometimes you get a little bit of misconception of, oh, well, maybe that's not for me. Uh, maybe that's not a sport for our people. And But I think as soon as you get somebody on the court, that all goes away. And they realize anybody, put a, like Jessica said, all you need is a racket and a ball and all of a sudden you can have a blast uh, as long as you want. And so that's what we're trying to do is just put rackets in the hands of kids. Uh, when we were able to do the kids' clinic at uh, our tournament, every kid walked away from the clinic with their own brand-new racket. And so now all of them can be tennis players. And, Tony, what about older folks interested in tennis for recreation and fitness? Is it ever too late to pick up a racket? Well, that's one of the great things about tennis. You know, you can only play football so long. But in tennis, you can play from being a little kid to I play a guy sometimes in his 80s that's still killing it at the net. And so you can play for quite a bit of time. You might have to transition from singles to doubles. You don't have to do as much running. But it's a sport for all people of all ages. Well, folks, if you've got any questions for our guest today, we are talking about tennis. We're talking about a big Native American tennis tournament that just wrapped up in Oklahoma City. We're learning all about the sport. Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. I want to hear from some Native tennis players out there. I know you're listening. Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. Tony, um, COVID, uh, did that impact the tournament over the last few years? How did that, what was the the issue there in terms of how it, uh, were you able to have the tournament? So we had a pretty great tournament in 2019 in Tulsa. And then the plan was in 2020 to come to Oklahoma city. And unfortunately COVID knocked that out. And, you know, obviously that was right in the middle of the big boom of the pandemic. And then in 2021, it was supposed to possibly happen in Reno, but again, uh, just our elders, we didn't feel like it was safe enough for them to come back yet. And so we had to stay off for two years. And so this has been our first year back since 2019. Well, it seems like tennis would be fairly um, easy to do during a pandemic. I mean, you've got players, they're on opposite sides of a court. They're separated by a net. They're at least 30 feet apart. Does does that make it a little bit safer than, say, football or, or baseball or some other sports that are a little more close contact? Yeah, so actually – when the CDC put out kind of their safe activities to do, they kind of ranked things from a danger of one to 10. And tennis was a one, just the safest activity you could do because of the square footage, the space that you're out and the fact that you're outdoors playing it. Even if you were playing indoors, it was still a pretty safe activity because of the space. But, you know, when it came to our tournament, it's not just about playing tennis, it's about community. And so we, like, as Jessica said, we have lots of families that come. We have lots of times of sitting around and building relationships and just getting to know each other. And we were afraid that's some of the times where it gets a little unsafe as we're all, you know, sitting in a circle, sharing stories. And Tony, who are some of your favorite pro tennis players? I'm a Roger Federer fan. He's my absolute favorite. Love watching Pete Sampras back in the day. Um, you know, I even kind of like the bad boy, Nick Kyrgios. You know, he just won the tournament yesterday. The city opened up in Washington, D.C. On the girls' side, love watching Coco Goff. We're excited about her. 
I like watching Francis Tiafo. Uh, he comes from uh, NJTL, kind of like the program that I run, and so it's exciting to see a kid come from the you know the inner city of Washington D.C. and now be playing at that high of a level. We have three native tennis enthusiasts on our show today. Lee Tubby, he's Lee May Tubby, excuse me, he's Chickasaw and he's in Norman, Oklahoma, speaking with us. We have Jessica Redcorn, she is Osage, she's in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And we have Tony Mulligan, he is in Oklahoma City and he's Chickasaw. And they are all lifelong tennis players. They've played at a number of different levels, high school level, college level. They're still active in the game. They recruit, they go out and encourage other native people to get involved in the sport and play it. Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. If you're a tennis player, this show is for you. We're talking all about the sport, different types of racket, different types of clay surfaces, different types of equipment. Get in on this discussion, 1-800-996-2848. We'll be right back after this break. The Indian Arts and Crafts Act protects authentic American Indian and Alaska Native artists and craftspeople and their art and craftwork. Under the Act, it is illegal to market art or craftwork misrepresented as American Indian, Indian, Native American, or Alaska Native made, or as the product of a particular Indian tribe. Reporting potential act violations can be done at doi.gov IACB or at 1-888-ART-FAKE. Support provided by Indian Arts and Crafts Board. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Are you a tennis player? Do you want to be a tennis player? We're talking about tennis today. Call in to add your voice or tell us who your favorite pro player is. We want to hear 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. We're speaking now with Tony Mulligan. He's a tennis player and a coach. And Tony, you're actually a teaching pro coach. Tell us more about that. Uh, what does it take to be a teaching pro? So... To become the certification, you have to go through a whole program through the United States uh, Professional Tennis Association. And so you've got to do a lot of studying, got to do a lot of on-court time of actually coaching that you've got to be able to show you've done. Uh, then eventually you have to take a bunch of tests. So you've got to test over information on the game of tennis, about tennis, about equipment, about rules. Um, and then you have to do a grip test so that you can show what all, you know, look at pictures and be able to say, okay, that person's holding a semi-Western grip. And then lastly, you have to do an on-court test where you have to actually be able to produce the different kinds of shots that they ask you to do. And then you do group and private lessons and you're graded on those lessons that you give. Now, that sounds like a really comprehensive assessment of uh, knowledge and experience in the game of tennis. And Tony, um, I'd like to learn more about uh, the Tennis Association, the Native American Tennis Association, and where do most of your members come from? Are there parts of Indian country where tennis seems to be especially popular? Well, we have a few of our high schools um, throughout the state that are really big into tennis, and so we see a lot of people coming from those towns, um, like Anadarko or Ada, and, but mainly from the big cities so whether it be tulsa or oklahoma city um, we don't see as many people from some of the rural areas because there's just not as much access to tennis courts and so the oklahoma tennis foundation is doing a really good job of trying to go out into some of those areas and, and provide uh, more opportunities like clinics but also to to help build courts as well um, but so yeah most of them come from the major cities or like i said um, schools that have a lot of tennis 
And to build a court, Tony, I mean, even just a basic court with just, you know, not like a multiple court setup, but just one single court with the concrete and the fencing and everything. But what does that cost a community to build one of those? Uh, that'd be pretty expensive. I'm, I'm not sure the exact cost to build a court, but I know like even when they come out here and just resurface one of our courts at $6,000, and that's just, you know, putting the skim over the top and repainting it. And so I'm sure it's it's pretty expensive to, to put a footprint down and actually build a court. And then you have to be able to do it right, because if you don't use a post-tension system and do it the right way, you're going to get cracks or you're going to get it beginning to crumble on you pretty soon. Now, when you're working with beginners, uh, people just starting new to the tenant game of tennis, what are some of the challenges they face? What do they struggle with as beginners learning the sport most? It all depends on whether they've played other sports or they've done other physically active things. So we see with kids, if, if they have any hand-eye coordination or if they've been able to learn how to use athletic footwork, they pick it up pretty easily. They really don't struggle much. And so we put them in activities that help them to find success quickly. So starting pretty close to the net, hitting balls that are pretty small and, and easy so that they quickly see the ball going over the net, they're able to get it back and forth with a partner, and they're having a blast. And so don't really see a whole lot of struggle. The struggle becomes more when you try to come from that beginner status to a more of a competitive player, and you've got to start learning to put more spins and different strokes on the ball. Another thing I, th I find so fascinating about tennis is it, it it requires so much athleticism. I mean, there's there's everything there. There's the speed component. You've got the endurance. You've got the power. You've got the hand-eye coordination. I mean, it just it pretty much just requires just a, a complete um, just as as an athlete, you just have to embrace like pretty much every aspect of of sports and and athletics to to do well at the game, don't you think, Tony? You know, as Rafael Nadal says, you know, I, I if I hope you like to suffer because I love it, and the game of tennis is all about suffering. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because it is, it takes especially if you're playing singles, it takes all that you've got. You've really got to put all of your energy into it. And while some of our younger native players, I mean, they're impressive to watch with their athleticism, you would be amazed at our older senior guys. Uh, they put everything they had into it. Like Mr. Tim Barnett, who played in our senior division, I saw him going down to his knees at times, and uh, it was quite incredible to watch. And I know Lee kind of downplayed how good he is. Him and his brother Bruce have been pretty impressive tennis players in the tournament as well. Well, let's go back to Lee. I, I feel like you guys are all being modest on this show. Jessica's saying, oh, yeah, I played a little bit. This is my rating. And, and Lee as well, not really talking. So Lee, sounds like um, you've been playing tennis at a pretty high level for a long time. And um, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, not only, you know, the power, the speed, but also, I mean, tennis matches, they can go hours. It's, it's just such a tough, tough workout. Yeah, it's it's kind of what you make it in a way. You know, it's if you want to have that, you can have that, uh, and turn it into kind of an endurance thing, as Tony said. Um, you know, tennis is is just a very different game, you know, than a lot of other team sports. Uh, you know, I think that's what turned me to tennis was that I was a baseball player all the way up until high school. And, uh, I just tried tennis just kind of on a, on a chance and, and 
just I think I th- I enjoyed it because I got a lot more action and, and movement uh, and playing uh, than sitting there and waiting for a ball to come to you or waiting to hit a ball or you know you where in tennis you hit a ball all the time you know and and you've got to be moving all the time and I, and I guess that's that's what drew me to it I, I uh, that part I really enjoyed um, and still do. Um, yeah, there's no sitting in right field uh, waiting for for yeah. a fly ball to come your way. There's <laughs> a fly ball coming your way every couple of seconds. So, um, Lee, before the show, we were talking about some 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 really good native players over the years, and uh, a couple of brothers from Oklahoma that I mentioned, uh, the Quitone brothers, and I know they were big in the, the association, played a lot of tournaments, and. Boy, those guys had some big time power. I remember watching them hit those balls, and uh, uh, I've got a relative that's that's played a lot of tennis. And, and one time uh, he was playing against the Quiton brothers, and, and one of them just hit him right in the chest with a ball, just about <laughs> dropped him out. I mean, just hit him so hard, he was just down. I mean, those guys were some really really fun players to watch. And uh, Tim Barnett that that Tony mentioned, who are some other just really fun players that you enjoy watching and, and you've played with over the years? Well, uh, of course, the Quitones stand out only, but not only because of their abilities, but because of their presence on the court. Uh, you had two very large men that were playing tennis that you would never suspect in the world that could hit a tennis ball, and you had guys like that that could play. You know, um, I I was trying to recall there was another individual who actually won this tournament uh, uh, for a couple of years. And uh, he was from Taos Pueblo originally, but was stationed down in Texas. And uh, he participated in the tournament, like I said, for a couple of years and was a great singles player. Uh, I just can't recall his name now. We were trying to trying to do that during the tournament, and I just uh, can't recall who, who, who that was. Uh, it'll, it'll dawn on me eventually. But uh, uh, we've had, you know, just... Uh, a number of them, uh, I don't know, I can throw in my niece, if we're talking about family members, uh, Lexi Maytubby, uh, who had kind of, in a way, surprise, uh, won the tournament uh, uh, several years ago against a, a competitor who uh, was actually playing professional tennis at one time. And she had upset her and then went ahead and won the, the women's uh, singles title that particular year. But uh, she's a very she was a very good player. Uh, she's uh, her her uh, tennis playing is on uh, on hold right now because she's uh, ha- uh, taking care of a young young child. But uh, she'll be back uh, in future tournaments. Um, you know, at least on on our side of the family, those are the those are the, uh, that, that was the one outstanding player. My brother and I both competed and won uh, a couple of times in a couple of the older uh, senior events. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we've had a mixture. You know, we've had uh, – there's uh, uh, an individual that comes from California uh, who uh, usually is in the finals or semifinals of, of the tournament in, in the senior division uh, – uh, who who was, uh, didn't make it out this this particular year, but uh, has been out in years past. Uh, you know, just uh, the the names kind of uh, 
uh, kind of go by the wayside after a while. But, uh, uh, you know, I can recall where these people came from and, and uh, what, uh, how good they were, you know. Um, a lot just, of good, uh, a lot of good players, a lot of good native players. I remember another gentleman from Oklahoma by the name of Max Factor, and he yes, was a really good yes. member, Max. Yeah, and in fact, we have an award that we issue uh, now. Uh, every time we have the tournament, we issue an award in his name. Uh, it's a sportsmanship award. So uh, uh, we, uh, we we issued that again this year, and, and it, in every tournament, we make sure that that's, uh, that's part of uh, the awards uh, presentation. That's wonderful. Wonderful to know. Jessica, I'd like to go back to you and, you know, talking about tennis and just, you know, the speed, the power, the endurance and all the different skills that are required to be a good player. And what skill did you have to really work on the most to get your game to where it is now, your skill level? Um, I would say probably most people would say this too, um, my serve. Definitely my serve. Your serve. And and what is yeah. it about the serve that makes that so challenging for so many players? Well, there's a lots of stuff. <laughs> you have to make sure and get your toss right. Um, you know, know exactly when to do the you know perfect timing of swinging your racket up to hit, you know, hit the ball after you've tossed it up. Um, and then the placement. You know, you could only hit it you know right over the net in that square. So. Um, you know, I would say that's that's the most difficult thing that that I've had to try to overcome. Um, but you know, my dad, he was big time on hours and hours of drills when we were growing up. And two major things that he had me practice on was my serve and my backhand. Um, and um, to this day, I think both of those are pretty much uh, the better quality that I have in my game. Um, but I, it, it's hours and hours of drills. You know, you just have to keep at it until you get it right or try to get it right. Jessica, another issue that you do hear about with tennis players are injuries and, of course, I mean, tennis elbow and things like that. And what can a player do to, to minimize the risk of injury on the court? Um, I think stretching. Um, will have a lot to do with it, um, taking care of, you know, making sure that, you know, you're not, you know, so, uh, you know, you're with your diet, uh, making sure you kind of take care of those joints that are having to get jarred uh, sideways and up and down. Um, you know, a lot of people with, you know, if they have weak knees or, you know, weak ankles, then just put a brace on. Um, and know when to take it easy. Know when to say, hey, that's a great shot. <laughs> you know? And not, <laughs> not go after it and kill yourself. Um, uh, so, um, in fact, I played adult soccer all my life until about five years ago is when I came back to the court about uh, three years ago, four years ago is when I came actually back to tennis. And um, I had blown my knee out playing women's soccer. So when I rehabbed it and got back out on the court, you know, I wore a brace for a while. So it's just knowing your limits, your, your physical limits. But I think stretching and just taking care of your, of your body, keeping those joints, um, you know, moving, I think that has a lot to do with it. 
Now, Jessica, where can our listeners go to learn more about the North American Indian Tennis Association? Well, we have a Facebook page that's pretty up to date. Um, we'll be posting soon uh, because the tournament next year, and it's always on Memorial Day weekend, it will be held here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, this coming Memorial Day weekend. Um, so we have the Facebook page, and I don't think our website is, well, I think we talked about that this past tournament, but I don't think it is up to date yet. But um, I'll be working on getting some more information uh, to get that all updated as well. And Tony, where can listeners go to learn more about your nonprofit that uh, does tennis outreach? Yeah, that's firstserveokc.org. And that you can find all the information you need or any social media, firstserveokc. Well, Lee, we're going to have to wrap up the show here in just a minute, but I, I want to ask you just one more question. We got listeners here. Uh, some of them have maybe never played tennis before. What do you want them to understand about tennis and, and why is it something that Native people should think about playing? Well, I just think uh, health-wise, uh, you know, it's a great sport uh, to promote health, uh, a healthy lifestyle, I guess you might say. Um you know, and then just um, it's it's a sport that uh, anyone can play at any time of your life. Um, you know, we've had people that start late in life. We've had people that start early and then quit and then start again. You can pick it up anytime. And I think just the convenience of being able to do that and then be able to go out and uh, – you know, on a court service, go out on on a, on a street, and I mean that's where I learned is just going out on a street, and just whacking a ball, and you know it's it's you you start picking things up that way, and then uh, eventually work yourself into to becoming a player and going out on a tennis court and playing. So um, I think, yeah, I mean I've I've enjoyed the sport, and I think it's it's a sport that just. Uh, I don't know. It, 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 it works with other sports. You know, it works with okay. volleyball. It works with, as you works said, ping pong. So we, uh, well, folks, I, I uh, just, uh, we're going to have to wrap up the show now. Game, set, match. Uh, Lee, Jessica, and Tony, thank you all for sharing stories, lessons learned from your time on the court. Really, really great discussion. We're back again live tomorrow, looking at what's behind a troubling increase in overdose deaths. We'll also get perspective on how Native people are portrayed when it comes to alcohol-related deaths. I'm Sean Spruce. You've been listening to Native America Calling. This show is supported by the return of FX's Reservation Dogs, the original comedy from Sterling Harjo and Taika Waititi. This season, Reservation Dogs continues to follow the favorite gang of indigenous teens in rural Oklahoma, with each of them trying to forge their own path in hopes of one day making it to California. FX's Reservation Dogs, now streaming only on Hulu. All new episodes, Wednesdays on Hulu. First baby, don't know where to start? CMS program coverage, prenatal service. Enroll today. Contact your local Indian health care provider for more information. Visit healthcare.gov or call 1-800-318-2596. A message from Center for Medicare and Medicaid Service. 
Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.